Well, would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we love you because you have loved us. For love is from God because God is love. We praise you for being a community of one, three in one, one in three, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why you're love. You couldn't be love if you were just one. We know that we were made for community, that we were made for love. And we thank you for that. And uh, even though we may only get glimpses of it, tastes of it in this life, we treasure it. So we thank you that you communicate and give your love to us and we can uh, then do that with each other. As we open your word today, may you soften our hearts so that we might see the God who is love. The God who doesn't keep himself from us but gives himself up for us. Lord, lots of us in the room here coming from different uh, experiences in the past week, different stages of life. There's those of us in the room who are doing so well and we have been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And this week has been one of the best weeks. There's been times of sweet prayer and singing to you, sweet fellowship with you and your people. And so I pray for those in the room that, uh, that they would continue to uh, encounter you here this morning, that they would be encouraged and challenged uh, to not um, settle. For those in the room who may have had a hard week and prayer seems difficult, the scriptures don't seem very exciting, um, sin seems very attractive, would you meet those people where they're at? And would you encourage them? Would you convict them? But would you also lovingly uh, woo them with your grace to yourself so that Jesus might seem uh, glorious and good to their hearts because he is? And Father, maybe there's some in the room here who aren't Christians and they're here this morning because uh, they just decided to show up or maybe they're here with family or maybe they have been coming and they're trying to figure out who you are and what you're all about. And I ask that you would open up their eyes and their hearts to receive your grace through your son. And Lord, for anybody else in between, suffering, frustrated, um, sad, tired, exhausted, for any number of reasons, we ask that you would open up the floodgates of your grace and your mercy as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What's in a meal? Why do you eat with people? I want some interaction this morning. I might even walk around a bit. My wife's not here. Titus has a little fever, so she would probably tell me not to do this. So don't, don't tell her. But I'm looking for a microphone. We have some time this morning. You know, we were going to have a baptism this morning. You might be wondering why there's not a big pool here. We're going to push that back a little bit into September just because of some logistical things and communication uh, miscommunications we had. So, um, so a little bit different this morning. I'm going to do a talk on communion um, that I found out I was doing Thursday afternoon. <laughs> so I want some interaction this morning. And I'm going to put a mic in your face, and I would love for you to, 
talk into it when I do. So I'm going to start with Daniel, since the mic's always in this. Daniel, why do you eat with people? Um, it seems to help conversation flow. Helps conversation flow. Great. Frank, why do you eat with people? I like eating. <laughs> and people just happen to be there, right? And they're going to watch it. They're going to watch you eat. John, why do you like to eat? It's a form of fellowship and uh, an ability to get together and to share with one another. Great answer. Did you look at my sermon notes? No. Liz, why do you like to eat? Fellowship. Fellowship. Great. Ashley? Why do you like to eat? I like eating. You like eating? Can you say a little louder? I like eating. What's your favorite food? Salad. Salad. <laughs> Jamie, we've met before. Good to meet you again. You too. Thank you. What's your, why do you like to eat? I, I was going to ask what's your favorite food. Why do you like to eat? Uh, same reasons I've been less in fellowship, being with family and friends. Okay, good. Joy? Salad. Salad. <laughs> That's a good reason. Salad is a good reason. Sharon, why do you like to eat with people? Because I enjoy learning more about them and being with them and That's having a good time. That's good. And, and meals afford us all these things, right? Especially salad. You can't eat salad if you don't eat. Meal, meals are something special. Every culture eats because people have to eat, right? You, we could just say, right, like Frank, I, I agree with you. I love to eat, right? I'm going to eat alone or with people. It doesn't matter. I'm going to eat. But there's something significant about eating that opens up the door for intimacy and fellowship in a way that's not possible in some ways in any other part of our life, right? You ever notice when you have people over, where do you usually end up? Standing around the kitchen bar or table or whatever. And you're just there, you're just eating. And you've been eating for a long time. And you're just enjoying each other. Well, in the ancient world, meals were significant just as much as they were today. But, but back then, more so than today, meals were connected to covenant. People would make a covenant with each other, and then they would share a meal. Covenants are something, something between two parties where people commit to fulfill obligations. But more than that, covenants go a step further. You're committing to people, right? You're committing yourself to one another. You think of a wedding, right? It's a covenant ceremony for someone's marriage. And what happens in a wedding? People commit to fulfill obligations. And what else do they do? They go a step further. They say, till death do this part. I'm committing myself to you. I'm not, just, I'm not just signing a contract that says I'll fulfill some duty, but I'm committing myself to you. And then what happens after the wedding, if it's a good wedding? They eat, right? There's a meal. They celebrate intimacy, fellowship, relationship. Today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. It's a meal. And it represents Christ making his covenant with us. It, it's a covenant meal where we remember that Jesus fulfilled the covenant demands, the law, on our behalf. 
And then he goes to the cross, giving himself up in our place to pay the curses of the covenant. The cost for disobedience that you and I have done that he hasn't. And so when we eat, we're remembering that. We're cherishing that. When we eat, we're rehearsing the gospel, as it were. We're remembering that Jesus gave up his body and his blood for us. So I wanted to reflect a little bit this morning on what it means to participate, to fellowship with the body and the blood of Christ in this meal. But more than that, uh, how, we're often, uh, how we often face obstacles to doing that, because we're tempted to participate in other things. So turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22, and we'll put it up on the screens. And this text is going to help us to meditate on this, to chew on this idea for a few moments this morning. So as you turn there, let me give you a little background. In this section of the letter, Paul brings up Israel. And he tells the Corinthians that Israel, when they had fled Egypt, became idolaters. They started worshiping other gods rather than the one true God, Yahweh. And in verse 7 of, of that chapter, if you go back a little bit, he says, don't be like them. Don't be like Israel. Because in Corinth, like throughout the rest of the Roman Empire, you could have gone to any number of temples and worshipped other idols. And at these temples, they would have these temple feasts, these false god feasts, as it were. So they would sacrifice a cow, a sheep, whatever, to a god. And then the leftovers would find its way onto your plate, and you would have a meal. And Paul wanted to be clear with the Corinthians, I don't want you to participate in these false god feasts because I want it to be clear that you belong to Jesus, not these other gods. And so what Paul's going to do here is he's going to contrast feasting on Christ and feasting on idols. So we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Look at the text with me. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So there's the connection to the background. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We'll stop there. So Paul begins his argument here. The Lord's Supper, the body and the bread, uh, or the, the body and the uh, blood, the bread and the wine, it represents Christ giving himself for us. And he says... When you drink this cup, when you eat this bread, you're participating with a few things, two things. First, he says, you participate with Jesus himself. And he's using the word participation in English. You all know the Greek word. You've heard it before. We've taught it to you, and you've been taught it, for, and you're teaching it to others. What's the word? It's louder, if you know. Koinonia. Koinonia. He says, you koinonia with Jesus when you drink this cup, and you koinonia with Jesus when you eat this bread. He's saying, when you believe in Him, when you believe in Jesus, you're united to Jesus. And that's what you're putting, that's what's on display here when you come to the table. Coming to the table doesn't save you, but coming to the table is a way to say, I feast on Jesus. 
I need Jesus. I want him. He is my true food. Just like food fills my belly and it nourishes me and sustains me, that's what Christ does for all of me, body and soul. I want Jesus. So you koinonia with Jesus in the meal, but you also koinonia with something else. Look at the last part of that passage I read. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so he's saying you also koinonia with each other. It's a family meal. You, did you know you can't take communion alone? The word communion eliminates that possibility because it's the word communion, community. Right? You're communing with others. You're communing with Christ. And you're communing with each other. So you can't take communion alone. In Ephesians, Paul said there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of us all. So if you belong to Jesus, if you're united to him by grace, through faith, and you trust in him, then you're united to each other. Whether you're like each other, whether you like each other, whether you agree or disagree, you're united in Christ. So communion is a participation with Christ and his church. But this idea of participation doesn't end there. It's a bridge to something else, uh, really the, the crux of the issue here. So look at verses 19 and 20 with me. Paul's going to come back to this idea of idolatry. He says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be a participant with demons. Whoa. Whoa, Paul. Where are you going? So what Paul is saying is, is these people who would go to these temples, if they're sacrificing to an idol, what's really going on is there's participation with demons. He's saying, you know the steak that they're eating? That's nothing. It's really nothing. We know that false gods are nothing. But some way, Paul was saying, in a general way, behind anything that rivals Jesus, anything that is in opposition to Jesus, there's some kind of force and power of darkness going on behind that. There's some kind of demonic involvement behind that. False religions and false gods are not harmless. You might, you, might think, you might be thinking right now, you know, James, these people would bow down to metal images, stone images, wood images. They would go into temples, there'd be all kinds of craziness and blasphemy happening. I live in Malta. I live in Clifton Park. I live in Half Moon. I'm, I'm not doing that kind of stuff. I don't have idols. Oh, yes, you do. I do. It looks different today. But we have idols and we have temples. Anything created that has supremacy in our life above the uncreated God Almighty is an idol. Anything and everything could be an idol. And idols, another way to say it, is anything that rivals Jesus. We know that from verse 22. Look down at verse 22. Paul asks, shall we provoke the Lord? That's Paul's word for Jesus. Whenever Paul uses the word Lord, he's talking about Jesus. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? In the best sense of the word, Jesus is jealous for you. In the best sense of the word. He wants you alone. You for him, he for you, 
him for us, us for him, like in a marriage. I sometimes wonder when we talk about idols if I should ever mention particular ones because I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to leave some out. Nebraska. Nebraska. Is that an idol? Can a state be an idol? Thanks. Jenny's been waiting for that for months. <laughs> you know, I really do. If, you, know, you, you guys know, almost any time I preach, we talk about this, right? Anything can take the place of Jesus. And, and if, you, if I leave something out, I'm afraid that, that maybe somebody will go, well, you didn't mention this one. You know, uh, the French reformer John Calvin uh, said, the human heart is an idol factory. You're producing them. You know, all those false gods, all those false religions out there, they are not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem, my biggest problem, is that we're always producing something in here that can, that can take the place of Christ. That's what's going on, and that's, where Paul's, that's why this is scary, right? I don't think Paul talks about the demon thing to scare us, and I don't bring it up simply because, oh, uh, it's going to um, uh, shock us. The scary part is that when I worship something over Christ, I'm doing some kind of participation with darkness. I'm doing some kind of participation with the evil one and his realm. That's why this is scary. So they're not harmless. Idols are not. There's something behind them. So look at verse 21. Paul says, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So I want you to hear the force of Paul's words. He's saying you can't take communion on Sunday and then eat at the table of demons all week long. It doesn't work like that. You can't have bread and wine and then worship another god on Monday. And the fact that he's saying this to a church, remember that, to Christians, means this is a possibility and it's something that needs to be avoided. I think that when I, in, in, my, in my very low moments, I think of sin as I just broke a rule. But, but what we see here is it's more than that. It's breaking a covenant. It's breaking relationship. That's what covenant is about. So the essence of idolatry, the essence of sin is not I broke a rule. It's I'm eating at someone else's table. It's I have said to the king in his banquet, forget you. I'm going to eat the trash at the fast food joint. Idolatry, sin, is not breaking rules. It's breaking God's heart. It's breaking relationship with him. So these are frightening words, and yet they're not meant to paralyze us. Right? These words, these warnings, just like all the warnings you read in the scripture, they're actually meant to propel you to the grace of God. It's not meant to demoralize you. It's actually meant uh, to create dependence on God and His grace. This is meant to open our eyes and help us see the forces of darkness in the world and all the, the ways that they masquerade, right? Again, if anything can supplant Jesus, then everything needs to be uh, you need to have your eyes open. You need to be on guard. And that's what this text is meant to do. It's meant to cultivate in us a kind of godly sorrow for our sin, but a sorrow that leads us to, to repentance, to change, 
to real life transformation. And so it's meant to stir our hearts to dwell on Christ. Because when we come to the table, you actually feast on Him. He is your food. So think about this as we get ready to come. What idol has ever said to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What idol has ever said to you, I will humble myself, take the form of a servant, and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? What idol has ever washed your feet? What idol has endured the cross and despised the shame on your behalf, died in taking the blame that you deserve? What idol sits over the universe guarding for you an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? There are none. So as you come, remember that this is not for perfect people. If you had a bad week, if you ate at the table of a demon, as it were, this is for you. This is a table for sinners. This is a table for people who know, I fail and I need a Savior. This is a table for people who want to feast on Jesus. This is a table for people who know, I have nothing else. I am nothing, and I want Christ. This is a table for people who know that even when I fail miserably, if I seek my refuge in Christ, I will be nourished, and I will be refreshed, and I will be renewed. So the band is going to partake first, and then when you're ready, come. Uh, you don't have to wait for the first row to go. Come when you're ready. Come as you are. And feast on your King. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your body and your blood and your son, for Jesus, for your body and your blood, that you've given it up for us, that uh, when we take this bread and this cup, we're saying we need Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've given up your life for us. The challenge this week, Lord, when we leave here is don't participate with other things. Don't koinonia with the darkness because you are light. That's what you're telling us this morning. And we pray that as we uh, partake this morning, we remember that. So, Lord, we remember your words on the night when you were betrayed. When you broke bread, you said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And after supper, in the same way you took the cup and you said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. Drink of it in remembrance of me. Help us, Lord, to koinonia, to participate with you here by your grace. In your name we pray, amen.